1: Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I talk with Mel Lester about how civil engineers can create added value for clients. I mean, isn't that what we all want to do? We want to continue to add value to our clients in hopes of getting more work from them and maybe referrals, which is a huge part of growing a successful civil engineering firm. And Mel is just a great guy. I reached out to Mel because I had been requested to do a speaking engagement for an annual event that he had spoken at last year. So I just reached out to him for some information about the event, for some feedback. He got back to me. We ended up having a nice conversation. I started looking at his website and some of the things that he does to help AE firms. And I said, you know what, Mel, you got to come on the podcast. You've got some great stuff here. So we really dove into providing value, and Mel really gave some tactical strategies. As far as steps go, which I know we as engineers really love. So, before we jump into that interview with Mel, I do want to remind you to please stick around later on in this podcast for my essential career advancement tips. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical advice and the best resources for your licensure exam, including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners, thanks to our sponsor, PPI. You won't want to miss it. I also want to mention that we're going to be doing a five episode series. On infrastructure on the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm really excited about this series. We're lining up some great guests, we have a couple of sponsors as well for the series. And if you are an infrastructure expert, or if you have infrastructure experts in your firm that might be willing to come on the podcast and talk about one portion of infrastructure, we would love to have them. You can reach out to me at afasanoengineeringmanagementinstitute.org. At I'd love to hear from you and would love to possibly feature you. On the show. All right, so now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation just so you get to know a little bit more about Mel before we dive into the conversation here. Mel Lester is a management consultant, trainer, and contrarian strategist helping architecture and engineering firms improve business performance and build competitive advantage. Mel has been blessed with over 40 years of diverse experience as both consultant and manager in the AE industry. He does a good deal of speaking and writing on a wide range of issues relevant to AE firm leaders and business developers. His specialties include strategic planning, leadership development, operational efficiency, project management, business development, client service, quality assurance, behavior-based safety, human resources, professional development, personal productivity, and executive coaching. All right, now it's time to jump in today's civil engineering conversation to discuss adding value for your clients. Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: All right, so now I'm excited to welcome Mel Lester from Biz Edge onto the Civil Engineering Podcast. Mel, welcome.
2: Welcome. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to meet people in interesting ways. I got invited to do a speaking engagement and Mel had worked with them previously, so I reached out to him. We had a good conversation and here he is on the podcast and We're going to talk about a topic today that I think is critically important today in the AE world, which is delivering value to your clients and delivering value as a consultant, as an AE professional. But Mel, before we dive into that, I gave you a a little intro before, but why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself in your own words?
2: I have uh, been fortunate to spend my entire career, about 45 years, when you get beyond 40, you don't count anymore in the ae industry predominantly engineering and environmental although i've worked with uh, a good number of architects and some firms that provided architecture but uh, i'm particularly close to engineers and um, folks in the environmental business i got started in uh, engineering doing civil design for about 10 years knew that wasn't something i really wanted to do and uh, then had an opportunity to get into business development and marketing And that was a good fit for me. I did that for about 17 years and then moved into several uh, management roles, anywhere from managing operations to HR director to corporate communications director. My last job really prepared me for becoming a consultant. I'd been consulting on the side, went out on my own about 16 years ago. I was director of uh, organizational development for a national environmental firm which was uh, essentially being a strategic initiatives leader. So that's uh, been a large part of what I've been doing as a consultant. And uh, it really uh, enables me to do a variety of things, helping firms become more successful, both in their operational efficiency and uh, sort of defining a strategic advantage, maximizing their operational efficiency.
1: That's great. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk to Mel. He's got a lot of experience working with different firms, different professionals in the AE field, which I know he really understands the importance of value and delivering it. So Mel, before we dive into this, because Mel has five specific strategies for adding value, and we're going to briefly go over the five, but we're really going to focus on two of them today because we wouldn't be doing them justice to try to cram all five of them into one episode. But Mel, before we do that, Let's talk in general about why it's more important than ever to add value wherever you can for your clients.
2: Interesting topic. I have been fascinated by this uh, for many years. It really started as a business development director during a time when uh, the average profitability for an environmental company dropped from about 30% to 3 to 5% during one period. And so that's obvious uh, a sign of uh, considerable value erosion. So I became interested in a topic that we oddly don't talk about much. Value drives business success. Now, when I speak to groups of engineers, I get broad agreement on this statement. The more value we deliver to our clients, the more value is returned to our firm in the form of things such as repeat sales, revenue growth, greater profitability, client loyalty. We get that. And yet it's interesting that we rarely talk about the subject of value. It's kind of interesting if you plug value creation into the uh, search engine of Harvard Business Review online, you'll get over 7,600 results. Value creation is a huge business topic, and uh, it seems to get more popular as time goes on. You do a similar search on Google, value creation plus the AE industry, and I get less than 500 hits. And it's interestingly, the first things that come up are articles that I've written. It's obvious that this is, for whatever reason, something that we are not talking about much as an industry. Maybe as we get into it, uh, I don't say that I have an understanding of why we don't talk about more, but I've got some ideas. I think it's the way we're kind of wired and where our emphasis is. But a couple of reasons there's a number of reasons why value obviously is important, it's just generally important to be successful in business. But I think two reasons why I think it comes to the front in our industry, two things, two trends that I know we're all concerned about. One is the commoditization trend. And commoditization is basically that's an erosion of value when we find ourselves increasingly in price sensitive uh, competitions for work. That's one good evidence that uh, we're not delivering as much value, or there's not as much perceived value from this perspective of clients as we might like. The other big one is uh, the talent shortage. Now that may seem a little odd, but obviously one of the things that uh, we have to continue to fuel growth because that provides opportunity to continue to, you know, enable people to grow and that sort of thing. One of the interesting aspects is that you know we're increasingly going to be competing against other industries for talent. That's already begun, but it's going to get worse, the demographics would suggest. And uh, the thing that should have our attention is that most of these other industries pay more than we do. I think one of the things that we're going to have to face is, is looking at raising our rates beyond the usual sort of cost of living raises that we're normally doing and uh, if we're going to raise our rates that's a difficult case to make for clients unless we're delivering greater value and uh, i think another thing that's important here that's woven into this and that is as we get into the millennial era if you will uh, millennials are already the largest uh, generation in the workforce and and projections are that by 2020 they'll constitute uh, 50% of the workforce. Now, I think a lot of the stereotypes about millennials are overdone. They're young folks, and just like I used to be young in my generation, we were less mature and uh, we uh, had to learn how to function within the business world. I think that age is more of a factor, but there, one thing that I think does stand out about millennials is they are concerned about having an impact, making a difference. They want to work for firms that do something significant. I think engineering firms do things that are significant, but we don't articulate it well. And that's one of the ways that we're going to add value to what we do is to better be able to connect the work that we do to significant results.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, both points. I mean, one, the commodity point is definitely something that is being talked about today. In fact, on episode 80 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, we had a young engineer that had emailed in who just said, I don't know how I'm going to be successful in this industry because the service is becoming such a commodity. And we dove into that and we talked about that. And that certainly is an issue. But the other point you mentioned as well, this millennial whole kind of issue, if you want to call it that, I had two firms in the last probably month that reached out to me, one in the Midwest, one on the West Coast, basically saying, there were executives saying, we just can't get through to our millennials. We just can't connect with them. And They're actually enrolling some teams in our engineering management accelerator, having them try to come up with a solution to better communicate and bring the different experience levels together. But I mean, I think that both of those points are really valid. And so taking the next step here, getting into these different ways that we can address this issue and try to add more value. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to read off five strategies that Mel recommended and we talked a little bit about off air, and then I'm going to have him dive into The first one, and we're going to cover a couple of them, but basically, and Mel, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I want to run through these. The first one is to develop a client-centered perspective. The second one is to deliver business-driven results. The third one is to provide outstanding client experiences. The fourth one, to build strong client relationships. And the fifth, to create and share valuable content, All right? And you could see how they're, in some ways, many linked together, some more than others. So Mel, let's dive into the first couple here. Let's talk about the first one, develop a client-centered perspective.
2: We don't do as well at that as we would think that we do. And I think part of it is, is our natural perspective as technical professionals. Whereas we might see a technical problem that needs a technical solution, the client is more likely to see, and again, client is a broad term because many times we're dealing with other engineers and other technical professionals that have a similar perspective. And sometimes we sort of interpret that to represent the perspective of the client as a whole. But usually we're dealing with people sort of in the middle of the organization and they report to people that have more of a business orientation and uh, they're more concerned in delivering business results. So they see a technical problem that has a business impact and they see the need for a technical solution That delivers a business solution. And we don't often see things from that perspective. I describe what we suffer from. It's a malady that we don't even recognize. It's called project myopia. And it's a tendency to get so caught up in the details of projects and uh, executing projects and completing projects that we lose perspective about the other aspects, particularly the non technical aspects that matter to clients. There are many examples. We don't have time to go into it. Many examples of the symptoms of project myopia. One of those is is a, is a failure to really understand the client's perspective and also to fail to understand, for example, the why behind the projects that we do. Why is the client doing this project now? That's a question that I ask many times as a proposal manager and was really disappointed how seldom the team of folks that supposedly knew the client best couldn't answer that satisfactorily. You know, the tendency was to gravitate to, here's the technical scope, we can do this. We have the qualifications. Here are our qualifications. Why can't we win the work? Well, maybe it's because we don't really understand what's driving the project to begin with. There are always strategic drivers behind the engineering projects that we do let me if I can just give you a recent example sure. of this disconnect one of my clients it's actually one of their best clients a land development firm and they are doing a they're trying to deal with some uh, storm drainage issues and it's contaminated storm drainage so they had to decide what to do with it they looked at different treatment options and ultimately decided to install uh, a deep well so they got in this deep well installation project. The driller, in this case, was not a subcontractor to my client, but was contracted directly to the client. The driller has not performed well. Consequently, the project is now months behind schedule. But as there were problems developing in the field, my client did not report to their client, the owner, about the problems they were having with the driller. They reasoned. Unwisely, that wasn't their responsibility since the driller was directly contracted to owner. Now I was on, happened to get on the phone with uh, the project team, and they were talking through the issue and the project manager and the specialized design engineer that was doing the deep well uh, design. They were quite perplexed about why the client was so unhappy because they were doing such a great job technically. The project they felt was executed very well from a technical perspective. And you know at one point I said, but here's the point that no one's talking about. The owner has an empty office building sitting on this site. They are not permitted to use until we solve this problem. So they're missing months of revenue from that building. This is the issue. <laughs> This is why the client is so unhappy. It has nothing to do with your technical excellence. And that's just one example of many where we get caught up in the realm that we best understand and we see everything as a technical problem when there's an, that's just a part of a larger project that the client sees and in many cases, not the most important part.
1: You're right on there, Mel. And it gets back to a little bit of what you said before in the way that we're wired and the way that we are technically trained. It's obviously important for us to do a great job technically and ensure the highest quality. But at the same time, I think the best firms and the, the best engineers that become managers are able to look at it from the perspective of the client, put yourself in the client's shoes and say, okay, we're doing our technical job. But what else can we do to make the client happier based on how he or she is looking at the project or where they're sitting in the project? And I can definitely see how that would be a challenge in a lot of ways, which is, I think, one of the reasons you've highlighted it here, because it's something probably that most don't do. But if this sounds like something you're struggling with, which, believe me, I think many professionals in this field struggle with it, because when you have a project that you're managing, there's a lot of things going on, especially from the technical side of it, schedule, costs, budgets, et cetera. And to take a break and to say, let me sit down and put myself in my client's shoes, takes some effort. It takes a little time, but it's one of those things that it's so powerful because a lot of people don't do it and they don't do it because it takes a little extra effort. So definitely, definitely a good thing to think about and try to do as often as you can. All right, now let's dive into number two, which is deliver business-driven results.
2: That's important. And we should always, that goes back to the why question. Why this project is happening is almost always tied to some specific business results. Now, when I say business, obviously, many times our clients are governmental agencies, but we still, so I'm using the term sort of generically. It may be their mission or whatever that uh, is driving the project, but uh, let's think of that in terms of a generic term we'll call business, which is being successful at what that organization is set up to do. Very few of our clients have as their central mission to do engineering projects. Engineering projects are a means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. We tend to come in and we see, well, we have a scope, we have a schedule, and we have a budget. And if we deliver that scope, a good, solid, quality scope, on time and on budget, we're successful. No, That's only part of the project. The project is ultimately successful when the client receives a return on their investment that addresses the business need that was driving the project in the first place. And so one of the things that we need to do better is to better understand the business drivers behind our projects. Now, one of the things, fairly simple technique I've been using for years to help push us to get into that is to, when we go about trying to, unpack what are the needs behind this project, what are the problems that we're trying to solve, is to, to break it out in three levels. One level is the, the obvious one that we get, and that's technical needs. But we need to realize there are also what I call strategic, or you might call them business needs. Strategic needs have to do with the overall success of the client's organization. They can be driven by financial, competitive, operational, political issues regulatory issues that may be management initiatives, maybe internally driven. But we need to understand what those strategic needs that are behind the project as well as the technical needs. And then the other aspect is that our clients are people. So there are personal needs and and they have constituents, whether it's their customers or it's a public agency, the people that they serve, maybe it's the public at large, but there are always people needs involved. I call them personal needs. We could call them human needs and we need to understand what those are as well. In terms of solving, you know, delivering business results, I think all these things are woven together, but we must always look at what is most important to the client. It's not a completed engineering project. It's a, a project that helps deliver business results. Do we know what they are? Do we know how the client is how they measure success. Do we know what success looks like in their industry? Let me offer a particular caveat. This will be more successful the more focused, market-focused your firm is. My last employer, which is the most successful firm that I have been part of, it was a national environmental firm called Retech, now part of the AECOM empire. But they were focused on three primary industries, and that helped us really understand those industries and we were essentially industry insiders very active in their trade organizations very active in political things that uh, particularly in terms of trying to establish more favorable cleanup standards and regulations for the benefit of the industry and that really helped us understand the business drivers behind the work that we did For an engineering firm or environmental firm that serves multiple industries, multiple markets, that's more challenging. Because in in many cases, uh, I've worked with several firms that don't really focus on any particular market. They just serve multiple markets. And there's a good business reason to do that, that you're not as subject to the fluctuations within those markets. But it also has a tendency to remove us further from the business results that we should be part of delivering because we don't, it's hard to really understand those businesses in detail. And I, my advice to those companies, if you're not going to reduce the number of markets, which is probably not advice that's going to be taken, at least pick two or three that you're going to really put particular emphasis on and position yourself as insiders in, that, in those businesses. Understand what it is that drives those businesses so that you can connect what we do with what they need ultimately to accomplish to be successful.
1: So Mel, along those lines, if someone's listening right now, that's a project manager, they are managing a client relationship or a project, and they want to do this, they want to get more to the bottom of what drives the client, what drives their business results, I know you said to focus on niche markets and then within those markets or within those projects, what are some things that they can do to learn these things?
2: Well, I think one of the things is, is to be a student of your clients, your business, business in general. That has been probably the most important step that I've taken. I'm just naturally a research walk. I'm always trying to learn new things, even things that I know very well. I want to continue to learn what's the latest greatest strategies, what's working now that didn't work so well in the past, what worked so well in the past it's not working so well today. so I think you know it's hard because we're all busy, but we need to carve out some time to learn and I think become more and more comfortable with understanding our clients' business with understanding business itself. ultimately, keep in mind in our business if uh, Let's assuming uh, most of our audience are in the consulting engineering business. It's a business that, unless you're part of large companies, it sort of caps out technically in your career at some point. It's harder and harder to be a senior engineer in a small firm. Part of it is clients are not wanting to pay top dollar for that engineer, particularly as we increasingly rely on technology. Younger engineers are more proficient sometimes with the, the technology. And so we talk about the technical and the management track. The fact is, in the typical engineering consulting firm or environmental consulting firm, most people are by default on the management track. And so at some point, they're going to step into project management, which should put you clearly within the client's sphere and should you know push us towards better understanding our clients and their business and what makes them successful. And then ultimately, you may get into other aspects of management managing departments or offices or that sort of thing. Now that may not be your aspirations right now, but I just thinking that's a fact. We shouldn't become too specialized unless you want to pursue the type of an engineering field or the type of engineering organizations that would allow you to continue to be specialized over the course of your career. But most are going to be pushed, nudged in that management track at some point at least at the project management level. And once we step into that project management level, you've automatically should, by concept at least, you've stepped into the client's world. It's no longer just doing engineering work anymore. And I'm not suggesting even a young engineer should just be focused on project work. You should immediately have an interest in clients. And you should see your work is ultimately serving clients. We do it by doing the engineering work that we do But that's not the end game. The end game is meeting client needs. And so if that doesn't appeal to you, you might want to look at another field of engineering other than the consulting side or any side that has customers that we have to satisfy. Even in manufacturing, you have customers as an engineer that you have to satisfy. And so understanding those customers is critically important. By the way, engineers I know in the manufacturing business, tend to be more attuned to what their customers want and need than we do in the consulting, oddly enough.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I talked to some engineers in the manufacturing world. They do seem to be much more on par with what their clients want. And again, I think part of it, like I said earlier, Mel, talking with a lot of engineers in the, in the AE world, a lot of civil engineers, the projects are big and there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts. And they seem to be really kind of knee deep or head down in their projects and they forget to look up and look at some of these outside things that you've talked about pertaining to the client. Not to say that manufacturing projects aren't the same, but it just seems that from my experience working with CE professionals is that they get mired down in some of these details, which are important, but then they hurt on some of the business side of things, which can be Come back to really haunt you and can hurt long-term client relationships which i think is what every firm's going for
2: right and by the way since we're talking about value this is an inescapable fact if you're going to be an engineer in the consulting profession your value is enhanced by your ability to serving clients managing people and getting new work in the door those are three things that enhance the value of an engineer more than their engineering expertise typically in this business. Again, they're, not to say there aren't exceptions, but that is typically. So if you're young in this field, I hope you have that in view and I hope you embrace that because that's the reality.
1: Mel, give us those three one more time.
2: The three are serving clients. So, you know, those that have client skills, those who are best at, at satisfying their clients, and then there's managing people, leading people. So ultimately, if you're you go get in this management track, you're gonna either be leading a project team or a disciplinary department or an office or something at a smaller scale, or maybe you're just a, a recognized leader. You don't have an official management title, but you you're still a leader of people, maybe both internally, but maybe externally as well, as you put together teams with other companies, other entities, including with clients. And then the third one is, is getting new work in the door. They're, every firm in this business needs more of that. They need more of those business development types who are good engineers, but they're also good at going out and bringing in the work. Now, I think if you apply the kinds of value creating strategies that we're talking about, you're going to be much more effective at all of those things, all three of those. And so it's broadening that perspective so that you're not just a technical specialist who doesn't much pay attention to the rest of the dynamics of a project, but you can see the bigger picture. We are by nature in this business more analytical thinkers, and some of us may find that hard to change, but at least let's connect with big picture thinkers. Let's collaborate with those who see the larger perspective that better aligns sometimes with what our clients are seeing.
1: I'm lucky to have the chance to talk with a lot of CEOs and presidents of firms through these podcasts and maybe do some of the trainings I do. I tend to ask them a lot, what are you looking for when you hire? And they they pretty much tell me we're looking for a technical professional, an engineer, an architect, whatever it is that has the people skills and can bring in work. And that's what they say. And that's right to Mel's credit there on his three points. That's what people are looking for because quite frankly, not to minimize technical skills, but... We're all trained in the technical realm. So you have those skills, at least a baseline, and you can further develop them, of course. But these other skills tend to be more rare. And that's why they tend to be more valuable. So again, we're speaking with Mel Lester of BizEdge, and he's talking about delivering value. We focused on really two big strategies today, which was developing a client-centered perspective, stepping out of your shoes and into the client's shoes as often as you can in your projects. And then also to deliver business-driven results. And the big one there is to understand what your client is shooting for. What's the client's why and the projects and trying to figure that out from them. And those are two aspects of delivering more value. And there's other aspects that we're not going to cover today. We were, maybe we'll have Mel back on another day. But what I want to do now is I want to take a quick break. We're going to come back in our CE Hot Seat segment and we'll fire off a few last questions at Mel.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment where I'm going to pepper our guest Mel Lester with a couple of final questions. However, before I do that, I do want to mention our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. I have some big news for my civil engineer listeners. If you've been thinking of getting your PE license, but you're unsure of where to start, now is the perfect time to check out PPI2Pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exams and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, PPI has recently released a brand new Civil Engineering Reference Manual, the essential book for your PE civil exam prep. Visit ppi2pass.com to order the new Civil Engineering Reference Manual and take one step closer to career advancement. That's ppi2pass.com. the number two, I also have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TCE8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's the promo code TCE and the number 8. I'm back with Mel Lester from Biz Edge, and it's time for the CE Hot Seat. All right, Mel, you ready to go?
2: My seat's getting hot.
1: First question, Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or lunchtime routine or things that you do consistently on a daily basis that have contributed to your success?
2: Uh, That's a tough question because I will admit that uh, self-discipline is I'm more of a creative type. And so structure and self-discipline is something I have to work at. But I would say going back to something I talked about earlier, every day I'm trying to learn. And uh, I think that has probably been as key to my success as anything else is. And I try to be, even though you know, I want to present myself as knowledgeable, clients hire me because of my so-called expertise. But I never want to be so confident in my ability and my knowledge that I don't feel a hunger for continuing to learn more. So I will spend time almost every day usually on the internet. This is how I take breaks, I, whatever I'm working on when I get a chance, when I'm in the office at least, to get online and uh, to look into things. I never start any project for a client without doing research. And it could be something that I'm well familiar with that I've done many times, but I'll go back to see if I can gain some new perspectives. And so I would say you know, my advice for that is keep learning. And you have to work at it. And one of the things that keeps me going is that I write and I also put out a monthly e-zine. So I'm always collecting stuff. And that kind of gets, if I just touch real quick on the last, the fifth one that probably seems a lot to deliver valuable content. Valuable content is basically written, published form of our expertise. It's not necessarily what's in our head, but what we can gather because a lot of what I share is other people's stuff. Even though I write a fair amount myself. But when you get involved in creating and hoarding content, that's part of the way, that's part of your learning process. So one of the pieces of advice I would say that what enables us to add value to clients is be constantly on the lookout for useful information that addresses the needs and the problems and the aspirations of other people, particularly clients, and gather that stuff and learn about it.
1: As a follow-up to that, Mel, do you have a preferred way of learning? Is it reading? Is it listening to things? It sounds like you're on the internet, maybe reading or watching videos, or do you have any specific preferred way you do it?
2: I tend to read more. Uh, You know, it's kind of odd that I'm doing a podcast. I'm not a big podcast listener. Maybe I should try it. I think part of it is carving out time. Usually when I'm driving, I'm just taking a mental break. I may be thinking about work-related stuff, but I don't usually go there in terms of listening to podcasts and stuff. Kind of odd because as much as I try to learn, there's times I need some time off. And so a good long drive to a, on a business trip is uh, time for me to offload a little bit. But uh, I do a fair amount of reading. I look for things that are fairly quick reads. I try to write in a way that makes my writing typically you know, more skimmable because you know we need to process information quickly. I do watch videos a good deal. It depends on what I'm looking for. Finding good business-oriented videos, not that they're not out there, but it's harder to find them than it is finding good articles. I don't know why. Part of it is you can go to certain reliable sources and it's not that all, not many people that are doing good videos or podcasts.
1: Yeah, sure. No, and I know everyone learns differently, but I always like to ask because you know, there's a lot of information out there today. So it all depends on how, I guess, someone wants to take it in and, and what the topics you're looking for. All right, next question What is one book that you recommend to engineers regularly, or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development?
2: You know, I'm sitting here looking at my bookshelves, and uh, that's a tough question because I've got so many, but let me mention one author and one book. And this is, I think, consistent with what we've been talking about in terms of broadening our perspective beyond just doing technical work. The authors, David Meister. Meister is retired now, but he was a consultant to professional service firms. He worked with some engineering firms. I think more often he was working with lawyers, accounting firms, management consulting firms. But he just has a wonderful perspective on business. I would say, among his many books, a good starter book is Managing the Professional Service Firm. That gives you some great perspectives on, you know, it talks a lot about serving clients and providing, managing your resources, branding and marketing your company. There's a number of things in there, but it has some core principles. And I will say, you know, I got introduced to Maester with my previous employer and we used his principles a lot in building a great company. So I think uh, that would be a good one to stretch you a little bit outside of the engineering discipline.
1: All right. I've got one final question, which we call the civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give him or her career advice in that short period of time, what would it be?
2: Yeah, I think I've probably touched on that. I I would say, you know, expand your horizons beyond just doing engineering work. Understand your customers, whoever, whether you're in consulting or designing products or designing machinery that uh, understand your customer. Focus on your customer and realize that your work is not done until you have a happy customer. Every engineer, I think, has a customer. So what, regardless of what field you're in, you should have people that you've got to make happy through what you do. And, and until we begin seeing those people as the end result, we'll always be sort of pigeonholed as just a guy that can crunch numbers and do engineering stuff. And uh, I think our real value comes when we see our engineering capabilities translated into results that you know, meet the needs of people in their organizations.
1: All right, Mel, before I let you go here, where can our listeners find you or find your content? What's the best place for them to go?
2: A couple of places I'll mention. I have a website. It has uh, been blog-based. I have gotten so busy the last couple of years or so, actually longer than that, that I'm not as regular as I was. So it's a little bit static, and at the same time, I'm working on a new one. But that site is ae-resource.com ae-resource.com so you've got 300 and some blog posts there and uh, I've got a lot of other resources as well and I encourage folks if you'd like to to sign up for my monthly e-zine, which uh, basically here's the best stuff I've seen over the last month that I share and my particular target audience are AE firm leaders and business developers. If you're not in that category, I've got a lot of folks that aren't in those categories that are subscribers. That'd be one way to help broaden your perspectives. I also uh, am taking a lot of the stuff from my website and uh, updating it and writing some new stuff and putting it up on LinkedIn so you can check out my LinkedIn profile and uh, particularly the articles I've posted there. A lot of times now I'm going there first off, and then copy it over to my website. So those are two pretty good places to catch the gist of what I'm sharing with the world.
1: Well, Mel, thanks so much for spending some time with us. This was, I think it's really valuable information from talking with a lot of engineers and a lot of executives, and that value is a big driver today. And we appreciate you coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast and sharing some of your wisdom with us.
2: Well, thank you, Anthony. This has been a lot of fun and uh, I hope it's helpful to folks. And uh, one of the things that I like to always tell people is that I'm in business to help folks succeed. And, you know, sometimes you have this notion that I can't call a consultant up. He'd expect me to uh, pay him or something. I'm always happy to field uh, questions over the phone or uh, via email. You can go again to my website, get my contact information. So I'd encourage you by listening to this. If you want to talk more about this, I'd love to continue the conversation.
1: Before I sign off for this episode, I do just want to mention our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. I've been getting many questions from our listeners about the workshop. Essentially, what it is, is it's a five-week workshop that allows you to improve your management skills, whether you're an existing manager or you aspire to be a manager. During the five weeks, if you enroll as an individual, because we now have a professional track, you will get access to five live skill building sessions on how to communicate effectively, how to network and build relationships, how to build expertise and credibility in your niche and become an effective speaker, how to maximize your productivity, and also how to become the best possible leader you can do and learn about high leverage leadership. Those five courses, coupled with assignments that we give you with each of the courses, specific assignment sheets, And a couple of group coaching calls at the end of the course can help you to really learn these skills and then transfer them back to your job. We also have a corporate option where you can enroll a team from your organization that will go through the same skill building sessions, but will also have a special team project challenge. And if you're not sure if you're ready for this or if your company's ready for this, you can contact us and we can help you. And we can walk you through taking our engineering management training needs assessment to help you understand where your firm lies right now. You can always contact us at afasano at Institute.org, or if you feel like you'd prefer to call, it's 201-857-2384. Please remember you can find the show notes for this specific episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com and look for episode number 83. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors.